all kinds of things about death and life and life after death. Let's see what God's Word says when another person was confronted by themselves and their own inabilities to please God in their own strength. And it's to be found in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Now do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Are you a good person? You see, here this lawyer, and uh, Luke refers to him as a lawyer specifically because he's writing, remember, to who? To a Gentile audience, basically. And they wouldn't understand about scribes. But Luke points out that this lawyer wanted to test Jesus. And this scribe had a, a really big dose of the good person syndrome. He thought that he would show Jesus up by putting him to the test. And remember what Jesus had just been speaking about in the previous passage? He'd been been saying, God, I thank you that you have revealed your truth, not to the wise, but to the foolish. And here is one of these wise people as an illustration of what Jesus had just spoken about. And so he addresses Jesus. And note there are a few things here you can take note of in the way that he addresses Jesus which shows his heart attitude. The first thing he does is he addresses him just as teacher, rabbi. Just another one of the teachers. And there were many of these teachers floating around Israel at that time. 
Now look at his question. See his real question. He says to Jesus, Lord, or teacher rather, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? This was a popular question among scribes. They would often debate it for hours at a time. What else can we do to inherit eternal life? You see, his true question here was, what else shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, I'm a lawyer. I'm a scribe. I know the Mosaic law inside out, Jesus. I teach it to others. I administer the law. I make legal decisions every single day based on the law of Moses. What else can I do to inherit eternal life? What was his point? Jesus, I'm an example of a 100% perfect law specimen. I keep it 100%. What else can I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he was making a common mistake that so many people today still make. And they think that it is a human responsibility to attain eternal life. In other words, that there is something that I can do that to get eternal life as a reward. Many people think so today. You go in the street and you say to someone, oh, you're a good person. Yes, I am. Why do you think so? Because, and then they start going into the reasons of what they do to gain eternal life. Note Jesus' response here to him, verse 26. Jesus drives this Old Testament law expert back to his supposed field of expertise. What was that? Old Testament law. Jesus takes him back to the law. But he doesn't start quibbling with him about all the little intricacies of the law and start getting into a technical conversation of all the 3,000 plus bylaws that these Pharisees have added to the Ten Commandments. No, Jesus says to him, what is written in the law about eternal life? How do you read it? It's a very good question, you see. Because this lawyer, this scribe, had studied the law. He knew the answer to this. And he must have felt, yes. And so what does he do? He gives the classic summary of what it is, what the law is. He gives a 100% correct interpretation. What does he say? Verse 27. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if he was writing a test, he would have got what? 100%, you see. And Jesus says that to him too. You see, what this lawyer had done was, he had quoted from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, where God himself summarizes through Moses what the law is all about. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And he had added in one or two sections just for good measure. If you note that, he had added in, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole mind. Why? Well, you see, to scribes, it was really, really important that you reasoned about Scripture as well. It was one of the things that scribes did all day long. They reasoned about Scripture. And so he added in that, but and, to show how really well he knew the law, he added in the practical side as well, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, if he was marked, he would have got 100%. Now, before we get to Jesus' response to him, we need to put something in brackets here. 
We need to know the reasons for the law. And that is why I read Deuteronomy chapter 6. You see, it gives us the reasons why God gave mankind the Ten Commandments. The first reason was this. The law existed to show God's holiness and man's sinfulness. You see, when we read the Ten Commandments, it shows us how we are to live before God and how short we come of that perfect standard which God calls us to. Secondly, it reminds us of God's love and His mercy. Deuteronomy 6 verse 20 spoke about that. It spoke about God's hand of deliverance on us, even though we didn't love Him. We also read in verse 25 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, these words, It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to what? To do all of these commandments, and here's the important phrase, before the Lord our God. So yes, doing is really, really important, but it's the heart attitude that is really important before the Lord your God. The law was also there to be kept so that through it God might show that we are to have a humble heart before Him and to test our hearts. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 to 2 says this, The law will test you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep my commandments or not. And so what's the emphasis of the Old Testament law given to God's people? It was there to show that they must love God with all their hearts and to do God's commandments as a practical obedience before Him. So that was the reason for the law, very shortly summarized. Now let's get back to Jesus' reaction to this scribe. He'd given a 100% correct answer. You see, this lawyer had set out to test Jesus against God's commandments. Do you remember reading that earlier this morning? It said, do not test the Lord your God. Well, he was doing that anyway. But here Jesus tests him now. He's swinging the whole field round because he's using the law and the intention of the law to test this man's heart. You see, Jesus knew his heart. And so when Jesus says, yes, you have answered correctly, the scribe must have gone, yes, I told you, I'm a good guy. However, Jesus knew his heart, and so Jesus carries on with his answer. He says, yes, you have answered correctly, now go and do this and you will live. What's the implication? You're not doing this. Because the word he uses here is not just do, but the continuous form of the word. Go and keep on doing this and you will live. In other words, you need to do this perfectly. Every single day, every single minute of the day. You need to be doing this, says the Lord. You see, God's direct instructions about what to do with his law his perfect, was a perfect and continual keeping of the law. And yes, if you could do it in that way, you would require, you would gain eternal life. But was it possible? Not at all. And that's why in the Old Testament they needed day by day sacrificing of animals. They couldn't keep God's law 100%, you see. But Jesus needed this lawyer to see his own inadequacy. And so he says to him, yes, my friends, you've passed the theory, but you've failed the practical. You aren't doing this 100% of the time. 
So, there's a retest. Verses 29 to 37. And who brings it on? The lawyer himself. He thinks, well, I'll have another go. You see, Jesus had often pointed out the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. And here's one example of just such a man. You see, the scribes should have said, Lord, how can I do this? I know I can't keep the Lord perfectly. I need help. That would have been the right response. Rather, he raises a red herring and he tries to move the focus off himself. So he asks a second question. So Lord, who is my neighbour? Remember he's standing in front of crowds of people here. I've got to look good. So Lord, I might have lost the first round. Who is my neighbour? And here he knew he had Jesus, you see. Because the scribes interpreted this word neighbour very specifically. And I'll give you a little bit of insight into how they interpreted this word neighbour. Here's the logic. The Hebrew word for neighbour is the word rea, which means your associate. And so, your associate is the person near you, right? According to Exodus 20, and they would have read this several times to themselves, Exodus 20 verses 16 to 17, which contains what? The Ten Commandments. This is what they say. You shall not be a false witness against who? Your neighbour, your associate. It carries on. You may not covet your neighbour's house, your neighbour's wife, your neighbour's servants, your neighbour's ox, his donkey, etc. So obviously you're kind of living near to your neighbour so that you can see all these things. And so your neighbour would be someone that you live close by to. The second form of interpretation was this, that these scribes had. They interpreted neighbour to mean my fellow Jew. Where did they get that from? My neighbour is my fellow Jew. They get it from Leviticus 19 verse 18. And this is what it says. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against who? The sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And so they interpreted that well. I must look after my own people, the Jews, but anyone else doesn't matter. So they're not my neighbour. You see how they were justifying themselves? So firstly, it's someone who's close to me that I live close by to. Secondly, it is a fellow Jew. And so my enemies, I'm allowed to hate my enemies as long as I love the Jews. A third interpretation the scribes had in those days was they had their own one that they brought up and they couldn't find any justification for this in Scripture. But this is what they believed, that your neighbour was one who observed the law in the strictest manner like you did. That was your true neighbour. Someone who kept the law just like I did. And so these scribes would not be friends with, they wouldn't live nearby or associate with anyone who didn't keep the law to the same degree as they did. And they judged everyone else by that standard, even Jesus and his disciples. What did they say to him in Luke 5 verse 30? They said to Jesus and his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Do you see? It's this law that they brought about in practice. And so therefore this question that he asks, he knows he's got the answer to. Who is my neighbour is easily kept, you see. Because he only associated with religious men like himself. And therefore he was good enough to inherit eternal life by his own definition. I've got you, Jesus. What does Jesus do? The second test. 
Jesus points him back to the original intent of the word neighbor by telling him this parable that we know so well. And I'm sure you've heard it hundreds of times in your life. What is Jesus trying to teach him here? He's trying to teach him what a true neighbor is. And so he tells him about this man who was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now I'm pretty sure you've heard all this before. The, the distance from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 kilometers and it drops about a kilometer down, 900 meters. So it's 1 to 17 ratio, right? Fairly steep. And so it's a narrow, twisting, rocky mountain pass. And here's this man going down this pass, which is often in the shade. And so robbers used to hide out in the caves in that valley. And as caravans of people came through, they would pick off the ones who were traveling by themselves, rob them and leave them lying senselessly, sometimes dead. And people, therefore, started clubbing together and they started traveling down this little route in groups. But here was a man who went traveling down by himself. And when Jesus speaks about a man, this Jewish scribe would have interpreted that in, if I can call it scribanese, he would have interpreted this word a man as a Jew was traveling down. Because all other people are, they don't matter. So here was a Jew traveling down this road and he gets attacked by these robbers. You see the picture in your mind? Right, there's the man lying there bleeding. And who comes walking down the road but a priest, one of the religious leaders of Israel. And what does he do? He goes down on his knees and he shows a heart of compassion and he helps him. Right? No. Jesus is saying, no, this priest he doesn't just pass by the man, he passes by on the other side. As far as he could go onto the verge, he passes by on the other side and he leaves the man lying there. Now, he would probably, probably have been trying to keep himself clean, ceremonially, because there were all these purification rules that he had to keep to. And here was this half-dead body and maybe he's dead, but there's blood lying around. I can't touch him because then I'll be unclean and I can't do my work. And they wouldn't want that to happen, would they? And this one who's supposed to act as an intermediary between men and God, this priest, would not even come near this man, his fellow Jew. And so he passes by. You see, it was the law applied, but with no mercy. That was the point. Who next comes by? Well, a Levite. Someone who assisted the priest in the temple duties. What did they do? They slaughtered animals. There was blood all over the place. They skinned animals. They even examined lepers. And what does this Levite do? One who was used to handling all these things, what does he do? Does he help this man who's lying there? No. He passes by. And he doesn't help. You see the law applied? No sympathy, no love. See Jesus' point? But now Jesus brings in the curler. The punch. This man is lying there, right? There's a problem. But who comes along? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. You see the point? A Samaritan. To Jew, that would have been, you can't speak like that. Why a Samaritan, Jesus? Can't you change your story? A Samaritan comes along. But that's not the worst. What does a Samaritan do? This one who is hated by the Jews, seen as worse than a dog. 
What does the Samaritan do? He actually stops. He stops next to this Jewish man. And what does he do? He binds up his wounds. He puts him on his own pack donkey. He takes him down to an inn. He, he says to the innkeeper, I want you to look after this man. I want you to feed him. I want you to look after his medical needs. Here's two denarii. Now that's with two days living wages. Alright? That's quite a lot for people to have. He gave it in advance to this man. He said, that's to cover the costs. And by the way, I'm opening up my MasterCard. If there's any other costs, then put it on there. Good word, MasterCard. It should be used for the Master. But anyway, that's a different thing. And so he opens up a running account and he says, put it on my account. I will come back and repay anything that this man costs. Now, what's, what is Jesus' point here? He's showing how being a neighbor to perfection is what God wants. Being a neighbor to perfection. In other words, showing mercy. What those other men didn't. And then Jesus asked the question that this man really didn't want to hear. Because there was only one answer here. So, which of these three men proved to be a real neighbor? Who was the real neighbor? In other words, through the actions. And I'm sure this lawyer mumbled this answer under his breath. The only correct answer, I suppose it's the one who showed mercy towards him. He knew. You see, this painful and this humbling lesson was being taught him by Jesus. Because he knew his own heart. And he had a heart of excluding people from the kingdom. And only wanting to include himself. And so the answer is, no, the neighbor isn't your religious cronies, Mr. Lawyer Scribe, but any person near you who you show mercy to. That is your neighbor. You see, Jesus changes the whole question. The, the right question isn't, who is my neighbor? The correct question is rather, am I a good neighbor? You see the difference? Am I a good neighbor? In other words, do I show mercy the way God wants me to show mercy to people? And then Jesus says, now go and do the same. And in the original, it is a continuous tense. Now go and be doing the same. You go. You see God's mercy. There's still a chance for this lawyer. He doesn't say, you shall go to hell right now. Off you go. Pack your bag. Leave your bag behind. There's no place for these things. Go to hell. No. He says, now go and be doing the same. Have you been showing that kind of mercy? No, you haven't. You failed that test too, my friend. But go and be doing this. And then maybe you will inherit eternal life. How about you? There's this poor lawyer. But what about you and I? You see, we've got to ask the so what questions to ourselves. Here's this passage. Jesus didn't just mean it for that lawyer. He meant it for you and I too because he's, a con he's given it to us in his word. And we need to learn from the principles in the story as well. What about you? Are you a good person? When last did you measure yourself by God's law? Those Ten Commandments as Ray was doing. When last have you measured yourself? Why? Because as soon as you start measuring yourself by those commandments, you will see that you fall short. And that's the whole reason for the commandments. They show us how we fall short 
of what God requires of us and the reason we need something else. Have you been keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly? You see, these Ten Commandments aren't done away with. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 because there are many people who say we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments. They're done away with because of Jesus Christ. Well, yes and no. This is what Jesus himself said about the Ten Commandments. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, in other words, the Ten Commandments. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to keep them perfectly. And so that means they're not done away with, but Jesus has come to keep them perfectly. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law. Do you hear that? Until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, here it is, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were keeping it 100%, right? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we can't do away with the Ten Commandments. There's something else at work here. You see, the law points us to our inability to keep the law. And what does it point us to? It points us to a Saviour who would keep the law perfectly. And so what it's saying here is, if you think you're a good person, and you only think that because you are keeping the Ten Commandments, then my friends, I've got bad news and good news for you. The bad news is you can't keep it perfectly. The good news is, there is a Saviour who can, and you need Him in your life. You need the Lord Jesus Christ to keep the law perfectly on your behalf. There's the good news of the gospel. And we need to get that out to people. You think you're a good person. But by whose standards? Yours? Jesus came to keep the law perfectly for you and me. This is how Paul says it. And I use the New Living Translation because that puts it a bit simpler than what Paul sometimes comes across as. Let's read Romans chapter 3 verses 20 to 25 and Just listen to what he speaks about here, about God's law and Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 to 25. Listen to God's word and take hope from it. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Just hold your horses there. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. In other words... There is another way, and it's not just keeping the Ten Commandments. There's a better way now. Here it is. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Isn't there hope in that? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. 
For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see, there can be hope for you today if you believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for your sin and you put your hope in Jesus Christ, then you don't need to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly anymore because Jesus will on your behalf. Will you do that? Can we boast then, says Paul, that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the Lord. Do you understand that? You cannot be perfect before God on your own. You need Jesus Christ to be perfect for you. So a good person won't cut it in the kingdom of God. It won't be good enough. You need to come to Jesus Christ and be saved. You see, God looks at your heart, not at your rule keeping. The second point is this. If you're a believer here today, you've come to that point where you've put your hope in Jesus Christ. Here's the application for you from this passage. Have you passed the theory or the knowledge test about God's Word? You know it all, but you've failed the practical, the obedience. Or maybe you've failed both. You don't know God's Word that well. Well, Jesus summed up how we are to be obedient to God. What did He say? And here's again the Old Testament now in the New Testament. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God, you know the rest now, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first, the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 100% perfect answer from a 100% perfect Lord. And so the question to you and I in application is this. Are you continually, there's the crux, are you continually loving the Lord your God with all your heart? With all your soul? With all your strength? You see, the the further we get in there, the more we know the answer. Are you loving God perfectly all the time? Look, forget about yesterday and last week. Think about just this morning till now. Do you love the Lord your God in this way? With all your heart? You see, if we, if we, if we get disheartened by this, we are trying in our own strength. And so, this passage says to us, we need the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said too. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 17. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't end there. This is what he said. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the good news for you and I as believers. We can't do it on our own. We know that. But there is a helper, the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. We know him He can help us to keep it perfectly before the Lord. He can do it because He's God. Are you hearing and doing God's Word? Are you dependent on the Holy Spirit as a believer? Do you allow Him to enable you to keep God's commandments? 
And then the third point of application is when we start looking away from our own lives and start looking out there to our neighbours. We've got to get there because a lot of the passage was about that. Now here's the question and I want you to hear it properly. Who would you consider not a neighbour? And why? So quickly think. Is there anyone you can think of who would not classify as a neighbour to you and why did you say that? I'm sure you can think of a few exceptions. You see, the question here is, how should you love your neighbour? Well, I should love my neighbour as I love myself. How do I love myself? I know that answer. With all my strengths. I'm always looking after me, number one. You see, God wants us to love our neighbour as I love myself. And so the question is, am I a good neighbour? Not, are they a good neighbour? Am I a good neighbour? How do I know that? Well, here's a few pointers for you. Are you filled with compassion for those without the, Je- without the Lord Jesus Christ? They might be your children. might even be your spouse. might be a colleague at work. It might be someone that you see walking around with a patch on their back. Are you filled with compassion for the lost? Because if you're not, you're not being a good neighbour. Do I tend to ignore those people with the gospel message because it might be too difficult? Have you ever tried telling someone with a patch on their back about the gospel? You might see that as a little bit difficult. Or maybe it will take up too much of my time if I actually stop and spend some time with this person. I've got things to do. Or maybe it's just too difficult. And I'm so wrapped up in my own existence, my own activities. Or maybe I'm just too embarrassed. I couldn't get myself to speak to someone about Scripture, are you being a good neighbour? Or do you tend to pass by like that Levite when you see someone with real physical needs? And they could be a fellow believer, but they could be someone else that you see and it's brought to your attention, this person has needs. What do I do about it? Am I being like a Levite? You see, we need to ask ourselves the crucial question here. How was Jesus a good neighbour to you? How was Jesus a good neighbour to you and I? Well, I know what he did in my life. There was a time when I was a sinner before God. I didn't, I didn't even want to know about God. And what did Jesus do for me? He showed me mercy when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was dead. I didn't want to know about him. My heart was filled with sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I wasn't a good person and then God saw me and said, there's a good person, I'll die for him. No, I was a rebel against him and then he died for me. That's real mercy. I did nothing to deserve that mercy. Jesus showed me mercy when I was rebelling in his face. And so now, would I be like this priest or this Levite? Would I keep back the help, the only message that can bring life? and true healing to someone else? You see, what is the reason I show mercy to someone else? It's because Jesus showed mercy to me. And out of gratitude, I show mercy to the next person. And so I'd ask you this morning, as the Holy Spirit stirs your mind, who is the person that immediately comes to mind when these words came to you? Is there someone that came to mind that you need to go and see? 
that you need to be a good neighbor to? And if not, will you stop this week and ask the Lord, Lord, show me who can I be a good neighbor to? In some way, whether it's physical needs or spiritual needs. Lord, who is it? You see, to be a good neighbor takes opening your eyes, opening your ears, having a compassionate heart, and then having the hands and feet to serve as a follow-up. I don't want you to leave here discouraged. And you might feel it a little bit like it. Well, there's another thing. Take courage this morning. And here it is. There is hope for perfect living through Jesus Christ. How? Here it is, Galatians 2 verse 20. And take heart in this, and I'm even going to put it up there for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when we realize that Jesus Christ lives in and through us, then we can be good neighbors because Jesus is doing the work in and through me. And so all I need to do is allow Jesus to reach out to people around me through me. And so I start getting the eyes, the ears and the heart of Jesus Christ in me for people around me. I can live faithfully through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because he's in me. And I want to send you out this week into little Wanganui East and to Wanganui. Go and be a good neighbor with Jesus Christ living in and through you. And open your eyes to those who Jesus wants you to see because he's looking at them through your eyes. May Jesus use you this week with the enablement of the Spirit to be a good neighbor to this this community that we live in. Why? So that Jesus and God will be glorified through your actions. May He use us as a church. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, in Your scheme of timing, You have brought this passage to our attention. Lord, both as individuals, but also as a church. And so we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, who would You have me serve this week? Who would You have us serve as a church This week, Lord, who can we be good neighbors to? And Lord, help us to realize that we cannot do any of this without the strength that you give. We cannot do any of this without you living in us, Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, who can keep the law perfectly. And Lord, for those times when we fall down and we come up short of your standards, thank you that we know that we have forgiveness of sin through you. That we can come to you. We don't have to sit there in helpless despair. We can come to you and find forgiveness and then get up and carry on with the work you've put before us to be hands and feet, the light to the world for Jesus Christ. Lord, may we do this with you in us and you working through us so that you again would be glorified through our actions. May you be made great, we pray. Amen.